With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. frozen as cold as the night oh but you're an explosion you're dynamite your name isn't real ferdinand but i don't care for sand and lighting the fuse might result in a bang i bet you look good on the dance floor ladies and gentlemen we are now floating in screamer selica my name is kevin graham and his name is russell boyce and tonight we are on the dance floor of european dreams Russell, have you ever looked good on the dance floor? <laughs> in my wee imagination, probably, Kev. <laughs> but uh, in terms of other people, I mean, it just gets to that stage. You know what I mean? When you're on the like, when you're actually trying to dance, like, depends. Like, you don't really get many places that play any decent like sort of music. I was all right in a place. Club Tropicana, I think it was called in Glasgow. It was like 80 songs and that. I was like, I was getting big licks there, man. But like, see if it's like listening to like Florida and that, it just like a bam, do you know what I mean? So it's like, like dad, dad's like, <laughs> so I, I just stand at the side of a VK Tropical, mate, look even harder. A VK Tropical. <laughs> a VK Tropical. I'm actually surprised at that, Russell. I'm really surprised at that. Um, 
Did I see correctly over the weekend? I'm spending less time on Twitter now as it just seems to be give publicity guys who have the intellects of puddles and proves a, proves a reason like how this country doesn't deserve good things. But did I see on Twitter you won the hardest music quiz on Twitter? Did I Mate, see that? I, did I see that correctly? Yes. Uh, did it the six at six with the uh, third frame who arranged it. And it is the hardest quiz in the world. I got three out of six, man. 50% is enough to win that quiz. That's how hard it is. Oh, oh, I, oh I was doing cartwheels and this. I phoned my mum and everything to tell her, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I didn't really pick up. I saw I was I was copied into all, I, I, I was copied into all the tweets and I'm going, I think Russell's won that. I, like, I, I think Russell's won that. I took I was, part in it. I took part in it once. And oh my god, I thought I had got everything right, and it turned out I had a uh, like everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, aye, uh, well done. That's a that's a big thumbs up. I can the third the third frame lessons to that. So, well done, big chat. Well done. Flying the scream of Celica flag. That's they think I was... we don't know our stuff, mate. Do you know what I mean? They think we're just up here winging it. We I know don't... our stuff, mate. They all know that I make up the stuff anyway, so that's that's the whole problem. Eh? I just make up my intellect. Um, so, tonight, this game. The game they were looking at tonight was on the 21st of November 2006 when Man United travelled to Celtic Park. Uh, it was on match day five of the Champions League and Man United only needed a draw to qualify for the knockout stages. Celtic needed to win and hope Copenhagen failed against Benfica to qualify. Defeat at Celtic Park would have seen us take a magnificent away record to Copenhagen on match day six, hoping for a victory. I think we can all thank God that that didn't actually turn about after, I mean, I think we got gubbed in Copenhagen anyway. I think we got beat 3 nothing, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. when we went there after we qualified. Uh, we lost the first leg. I'm talking old school money here, 3-2 at Old Trafford. And really, nobody held out much hope for us getting any sort of result uh, before this game. Most of the Man United players gave us all the usual small team plaudits. You know, the ones that were well-organised, hard-working, and that they would need to work for a result. You can can the usual sanctimonious urine, which is a toast in a water bottle for a bus on a hard shooter up a motorway. Just platitudes, <laughs> like soulless platitudes at the gears. Ryan Giggs actually says before this game, it's a game you want to be in, a game you look forward to to be playing in. I heard my testimonial against Celtic and it's the Battle of Britain. I hate that term, the Battle of Britain. We experienced it before and the atmosphere up there was unbelievable. I think the crowd and the atmosphere will demand that they'll be right at us from the start. It's just a massive game with the connection between the two clubs. What's your thoughts about that, the connections between the, between the two clubs? Well, what's your thoughts? Because, like, for me, growing up in the 80s, going to the football in the 80s, I always thought the Celtic fans had a more connection to the Merseyside clubs. In the 80s, when the half-and-half hats were all their age, you would see them mm-hmm. on the terraces, and you would mainly see Everton and Liverpool ones. Everton more so, strangely enough, especially after Rapid Vienna in 1985. And also, there was a thought process at that time that Everton were the Catholic club in Liverpool. 
Uh, that's one claim that's never been proved, but it's also never... Uh, it's also never been disproved either that Everton are the Catholic club of Liverpool. Uh, the Liverpool one, the Liverpool hats, I always just thought were due to Kenny Dublich. Uh, I, did, I did think that, and also Liverpool being the most successful team in Europe at, at, at that point. Eh? There wasn't so many Man United ones. What, what, you, you're younger than me, so what's your feeling about that? Man, like Ryan Giggs speaks about a connection, but for me, I never really had that connection in the 80s. I never saw that connection in the 80s or the early 90s. I know, but I, I think what, what Giggs is touching on is quite important because my memory serves me right. There's been a heck of a lot more testimonials, say mid-90s through to present day against United, uh, Man United, usually four United players against Celtic, than 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 Liverpool, for example. Um, I mean, my mind goes back to the likes of the four three at Old Trafford. Um, I think whose whose testimony was that? Was that Giggsy's? It was Giggsy's. Aye, that was, was a classic. Roy Keane, his testimonial. Mm-hmm. I was at both. I was at both three games. No, very aye. There was another one I could think of as well, and I wish I could remember it for the life of me. And then, obviously, there was like the Legends match. It was Rio Ferdinand who was involved against, uh, was it Lubos? Aye, Lubos no, Legends. Aye, aye. The, aye it was no, a charity game. I'm sure Rio Ferdinand had son involved as well. I can't remember what it was, but aye, I think there is a wee bit of a connection, if I'm honest. I would have always said it was stronger with with United than Liverpool, but I suppose that is a perception thing. It is a perception thing. Peter McSherry mortgages coming. Uh, that wasn't a promotion for Peter McSherry mortgages, but I'm sure if you're looking for any mortgage advice, he might actually be quite good. Uh, connections between us and Man United, it's very meh-meh for me, because when you, it happened when United were a popular team in the 90s. I can get that. I, I really do get that when United were a popular team and maybe the younger generation, I know that Declan and uh, J.P. Mason on the Thursday, they, they follow Man United as their English clubs uh, as well. Um, let's see, there's another one here. Peter Ulysses Cox. Everton was founded as St. Mingo, Domingo's FC in 1878. So that members of the congregation of St. St. Domingo, New New Chapel and Bre- Breckfield Road North Everton could play sport all year round. Uh, Benucci Cellini comes in. Liverpool were, fo- were formed by some sort of fruit, but definitely not sectarian, Kevin. Uh, but I support the team on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. For all you out there, if you don't know the words to the song The Banks of the Royal Blue Mersey, Google them after Google them after this. See, see for me, um, the Man United fans caused a bit of bother at both these games in 2006. And for some of them, there seemed to be a simmering re- resentment to towards Celtic, eh? I understand that, I really do understand that for a certain vintage of Man United fan having thousands of drunk Celtic fans singing about the IRA in a city which was devastated by that organisation is going to paint us in an unflattering light to Man United fans and Mancunians all over to a a certain uh, certain vintage. Every time we've been to Manchester since, 
those early 2000 games and especially the two big testimonials there's been trouble every time even going to Man City there's been ballery and again I just think it's the vibe our support maybe Gee and Manchester with some of the songs that, that we do sing I always found some of the Man United fans that I met especially the two testimonials a bit like arrogant I did find them arrogant uh, but in the last few years doing this, I've got to ken quite a lot of Man United fans. Um, a lot of the guys worked for Fansbet that was that sponsored us a, a couple of months back. And they were great, salted earth, home and away guys. And uh, they were basically like us. They were, they were basically had the same background as, as Celtic fans. Like They were for cities that were shaped by immigration and the waterways, the, the ship canals, the Clyde. And it changed my view on them. It really did change my view on the Man United fans. But I, I agree with the earlier comment. Eh? I, I, in the 80s, there was more a link to the Merseyside clubs. And as we got into the 90s, it seems to be it seemed to have been Man United. Now, I don't think there's any sort of close link whatsoever with any English club. And... I don't think the Man United fans have got any, a lot of the Man United fans have got any close link with Celtic now. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's hard to have anything in common with the English teams now in, in, the, in the current climate because they're so far removed from the realities of football and sport that we live in right now. Do you know what I mean? I think we're still playing a, a game based on what you can do in the pitch while they play games in boardrooms and, and you know, and, with checks basically, so I don't really see what Celtic or what gain it would do to any of the English clubs because they're all they care about now is building their brands and sponsorship deals. And I don't really see any appeal for them dealing with a Scottish club anymore, even albeit whether it's Celtic or not. Uh, even at this point, we were far removed, especially when you look at the talent in this Man United team. Uh, yep. We were far removed from the riches of the English Premier League at, at, this, at, at this moment. Uh, Sean Curran comes in uh, thousands of Irish boys supported Man United in the 80s when I lived in Ireland see the first game the 3-2 game uh, here I was in Dublin watching that and I was the only Celtic fan in the in the pub I was watching the game in Dublin I was the only Celtic fan wow. all, all the rest of them are Man United fans and apart from the five PSG ultras who were on their way to watch PSG against Derry City, they started supporting Celtic just to back me up. <laughs> I had a good conversation with them. Eh? They were good lads then. There was two surprises on this night. Uh, one, Bobo Baldy replaced injured Gary Caldwell for the first for his first game of his of the season, and this was actually seen as a blow to Celtic's hope. We've discussed this before. Uh, but you see Bobo Baldi in a, in a Gordon Strachan team. Now, this is Strachan's second season, mm-hmm. and Baldi's starting games in the Champions League. It's just alien to me. I cannot, it doesn't add up. It doesn't, in my memory, definitely doesn't compute that well. Like, I've seen the, the starting lineup. I mean, on the on the lineup, well, not, not only just uh, Bobo Baldi, Kev, but, you know, we keep speaking this summer about giving the manager the tools. Well, this is Strachan's second season and the tools he has at his disposal to be taken on Man United for a place in the last 16 of the Champions League actually make Angie's current predicament look favourable for me to get a result against AZ Altmar when you've got a 2-0 lead. I'm beginning to think, 
we're not putting any pressure on him at all because Strachan probably was getting it tight off sections of the fans at this point as well. Oh, oh, it wasn't. Which shows you, about, you know, you, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you look at that side and what the challenge is in front of him, and I know you'll read out the team, and you think, wow, we've got a cheek to demand tools for managers. Now, where was that then? I didn't, I didn't remember this team looked as poor. And uh, but what you've got to remember, this is Stratton's second season, and this team is in Gordon Stratton's image. He he basically built this team, so uh, by this point, it's his side. Oh, but that's fickle, Kev, because I'm convinced in 2021, if that was Stratton's team next season or not, the second we'd all be demanding more from the board, and it wouldn't be fairly to the 36 year old Neil Lennon in midfield. And Evander Snow, an 18, 19-year-old in midfield. And a you know, veteran Paul Telfer signed on a free and stuff. No, no, no. We're rewriting it. I'm telling you, if this was 2021, oh, we would not be we would be blaming the board a hundred percent far more. Right. Uh, Barca Boy asked what pub I was in. It was some pub in the De- Temple Bar area, Barca Boy. I was, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was nearly 15 years ago, right enough. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to remember the name of it. Um, right, we'll read the Celtic team then since, we, since we've already got there. The Celtic team that night was the holy goalie, Paul Telfer, Bobo Baldy, Stephen McManus, Lee Naylor, Nakamura, Thomas Gravison, Neil Lennon, Evander Snow, Venegura, Hesselink, and Magic Zarafsky. The Man United side that night, this was the other surprise. Alex Ferguson had spoke about bringing up a reserve type side and he actually fielded his strongest side available that night eh, against us. So the team that he put out that night was Van der Sar, Neville, Ferdinand, Vidic, eh, Heinz, Ronaldo, the lesser Ronaldo, as I'm going to call him all the way through this podcast, Carrick, Scholes, Giggs, Saha and Rooney. Come on, eh? See, when you see that lined up against, like, our team, that is utterly frightening, eh? It's unfair. It's just unfair. (laughs) I I don't, you know, the the disparity, I mean, we've spoke before, Kev, about how you looked at O'Neill's team and we were spent you know, we were we were spending sort of similar wages to uh, some of the top six maybe sort of clubs in the in the English Premier League. Um, you know, he likes to certainly to be on thirty grand, probably on par with I don't know, Mark Baduka at Leeds was probably on thirty grand a week. You know, it was sort of there was a parity between the sort of mm-hmm. or like not the, the elite elite, but already just in a matter of five years from then. You're looking at the disparity, and maybe the first signs of that disparity really, really pulling away. Celtic were trying to spend less, actually make money whilst being successful, as opposed to speculating to accumulate. They were actually trying to balance the books, and then any success would be a bonus sort of thing. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, 
and the quality of player and the difference in the in the United team. I mean, you look at you think then Scholes' peak 31 32 because he'd started playing deeper, didn't he? he? Was less the runs in the box, but he actually got better at that period. Giggs got better at that period, he evolved his game, and then you had Wayne Rooney, was the hottest young striker arguably in Europe at that time, or certainly in the top three or four. Um, you know, Ferdinand and Vidic is regarded by many as a, the best ever United centre-back pairing, and Ivan der Sar being there, seen it, done it all. Um, what a team. And yeah. just the, yeah, the money a- that that team's costing at that point, sorry, just to finish, the money that that team's costing in wages compared to Celtics, but now, yeah, I think the gap has really, really grown from the early couple of seasons under O'Neill to just a four or five years later. See, when you mention when you mention that side, Peter Peter McSherry comes back in. Wasn't there a, a little Ferguson v Strachan thing simmering under the surface at this time too? It's quite a I thought that as well, Peter, but when I started researching this game again, it's no mentioned. It's not really mentioned in any of the papers or anything like that. But like you, I thought there was maybe a bit of tension between the two of them, but it doesn't seem to be. My thoughts of the Celtic team are this. We've got a goalie who was one of the best in Europe at this point. Without a shadow of doubt for me, he was one of the best in Europe. We've got a back four that wouldn't have put the fear of death into Falkirk, never mind Man United. We've got a pair of Gravison and Lennon in the middle of the park, which was never going to work. And even by this point, you could actually see that Gravison and Lennon was never going to work in that midfield. Uh, also, a wee funny fact, that first 11 had the longest and the shortest, shortest names in the Champions League that season. Snow and Jan Venegura Hesselink. That is so a good fact. So that's good a good fact. Man United, I just hated Ronaldo. Still day, still day to this, still day to this day. Uh, for me, he just looks like a horrible person who doesn't care about his football team. It's all about him. Uh, there's no joy in him whatsoever. He's like, he's cold, he's narcissistic. I'd probably believe he'd be a serial killer if he couldn't play football. Um, he just seems, he just seems everything's for him. Like. He doesn't seem to get any joy out of playing football whatsoever, even though he's got a top, top talent. Unlike Messi, Messi just gives you joy. Ronaldo plays for himself, so this result was quite decent for me, the fact that we gave him a bloody nose as well. Mm, it's a debate for another day. I could see with your face there, man. I could see with your face there. It's a debate for another day. I think Messi is someone who very much, I mean, obviously brings joy in the pitch, but you know, I think with him and Ronaldo, I think if you ask their teammates, you know, would they rather be playing with them, either of them, or not, they would all say yes. So, you know, I would let them do the talk. And I think Ronaldo's maybe got a arrogant persona of that, but I dare say he inspires those around him. And his goals have certainly helped to various teammates in various countries and various top leagues that he's won. Ah, but it all seems to make it for him. No, like... Ah, it all seems, all seems to, it all seems to make it for him. For me, he just doesn't come across as he enjoys his talent. He likes forcing his talent through down people's thoughts. Anyway, this night, this night, Lee Naylor had him in his back pocket. Lee yes. Naylor was the best player on the park this night, which is a phrase I never thought I would repeat. 
after Lee Neal left Celtic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game starts and Man United take control uh, without really any uh, creating any any chances, truthfully. Lennon and Graveson can't get anywhere near Carrick and Scholes in the middle. And Carrick and Scholes are dictating play like six-year boys stealing a ball off the first years and telling them to get the ball back. You mentioned it earlier. Do you think Paul Scholes gets the credit that he actually deserves as a footballer? Yeah, I think he does. I think he actually... I think there was a wee bit of revisiting on Scholes by a lot of people as well, to be fair. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously it was an amazing career he had and all that, but, you know, see when there was top managers, you know, in England, I mean, it broke a slag off Sp- Sven Goran Eriksson, for example, but he knew a player in that. He dealt with the very top echelons of football. And it was Scholes, remember, who was always put out on the left. Mm-hmm. Scholes, not Gerard de Lampard. Scholes who was always put out on the left. Not just by him. Uh, so that seemed to always always found that interesting that folk would rather have Gerard and uh, Lampard in the midfield. I mean, he was obviously a great player, like I touched on earlier. I actually think his game evolved when he dropped back into the um, sort of a more more sitting sort of role. It wasn't quite a holding midfielder role, let's be real here. But he wasn't quite, you know, making as many of those late trademark runs into the box that earned most of his 100, uh, 100 or so Premier League goals. You know what I mean? For me, I agree with us. The best English midfielder of his generation. And Barca boy, real football, people recognise his world-class talent, but not the mainstream media. What I'd actually say is, I reckon he was a far better player than Gerard and Frank Lampard. And also, Man United would never have had the success they had without Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes I think you could say that about the other two as well, though, with their, their respective clubs. I think, I think you could. I've got a story to tell. The guys I go to the football with were in Cyprus in 1992, and they bumped into the Man United youth team at that point. The class of 92 were on a jolly in <laughs> Cyprus. And the only one they really recognised was Giggs, because Giggs was the one that had broke through at that point. So I've seen the pictures of them standing there with Ryan Giggs and that. And they were standing having a beer with the Man United side. And they say to them, right, put one of you as the best player. Put one of you as the best football player. And every one of them in the man pointed to the wee ginger guy sitting underneath the tree in the shade going, him. says, he's the man. Out of any of us, he's the one that's definitely going to make it. And that wee ginger guy sitting underneath the tree was Paul Scholes. So mm-hmm. I remember them coming back in 1992 gone, I we met the Man United team with to look out for this wee guy called Scholes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> before you can eh, they, they, that Man United team were utterly sure that Paul Scholes was his only one of them that was definitely going to make it. Even though Giggs had, was in the first team at that point. I found that quite an amazing observation by his teammates. I, I found that oh, I found that him every day as well. It must, have been, it must have been spectacular to watch. His range of passing was superb. As I say, earlier on in his career, he, he did get a lot of goals. His tackling was awful, though. I, I, still, did, I still didn't forgive him for the two goals he scored against Scotland in the European qualifier in 1999. But there you go. This game, nothing really happens. Man United control this game, but they didn't really create any chances to the 36th minute. And Bobo Baldi gives the ball away to the lesser Ronaldo, who runs through and goal. Big Arthur comes out and blocks... McManus eventually clears. Uh, 
we were really, really dismal in the first half. Eh? When you actually watch the highlights back, we were absolutely we weren't in the game. We were spectating, really. No, it was, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was just utter domination. But the thing that would have given us hope and probably allowed us to do the uh, second half display that we did was the fact that they didn't actually create real chances of note. They never put the keeper under the caution, for want of a better phrase. And I think we would have probably thought we're not going to have a worse 45 minutes than that. And the worst that we did have was still level pegging. It's sometimes just getting a wee breather, taking stock and thinking, well, things can only get better here and we're still level. It can kind of inspire you a wee bit now. That first half, you know, United definitely came up with a plan to dominate the ball. I think Ferguson would have been frustrated, though, that they hadn't, they hadn't tested the keeper nearly enough. With the talent that's in that side, with their front three, they should have been testing their back four far more than what they actually, they actually were. Mm-hmm. What Stratton does at half-time is he brings on Sean Maloney for a van der Sloe and he brings on Yuri Yarasik for Zaravsky. And we, mm-hmm. start better, we, we start better in the second half. Uh, Yarasik forces a save with van der Sar. Scholes fouls Maloney. And this, for me, was the catalyst to the change of the game because Scholes gets booked. And this seems to knock Man United off their stride, that the fact that he's picked up a booting. This moment, this spooked them. But again, when you have a look back at the game, Boric was a, the, was a busier goalkeeper, but he was just doing simple things you would expect Arthur Boric today, cutting out crosses, long-range shots. At no one point will we ever hanging on with our fingertips, Russell, you know? There wasn't no, any point. I couldn't agree more, I think. And Celtic was one of those ones where they they were growing into the game, if you like. For that's what I felt. It was like they're growing into it because the blows that United are dishing out aren't leaving a mark. They're not knocking us down in the canvas. Ah, you can feel them, but we're still very much in this. And I just think that Celtic, I actually thought Yarisic, see with him, he reminded me a bit of Denai. I don't know why. He reminds me a wee bit of Massimo Donati and the fact that he was never really appreciated for obviously being a you know more than capable footballer. We signed him from Chelsea, remember? Yarisic. Was it no Birmingham? Did he no leave no, Chelsea? No, he was on loan at Birmingham. Was he on loan at Birmingham? Right. Ah, we signed him for Chelsea. You know, this guy had plenty of Champions League experience. I think he'd played with, I could be wrong here, but I think it was Smerton he played with. We also think Chelsea signed by a great career at Spartak Moscow. He had bags of international caps for Russia Jarosik as well. And he just seemed to bring a really calming influence. And again, like you say, he tests the keeper. It's actually the, the, uh, Jarosik who goes and wins the free kick for the goal as well. Just with, again, a wee bit of know-how and a wee bit of savvy. So kudos to Jarosik. Well... Let's have a look at this. It happens on 80 minutes and, and Vidic fouls Jarosic. To call it a foul, I think, has been kind because I think the big wanky pencil actually played for it. As you actually say, you called him being smart. I just think he actually played for the free kick. If we're speaking the truth, Russell, I think we can look back and say it wasn't a free kick. <laughs> it wasn't a free kick whatsoever. What I can actually remember for that point, I was in the stadium at that night and I remember us saying... The wee man can't do this again. He, 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 can't, he can't score for there. 
again. Uh, and when he put the ball down and Van der Sar's lining up the wall, you're, you're still thinking that. You know, the wee man's not going to do it again. He's, we're talking about a world-class goalie here. He's not going to get caught out twice by the same guy taking virtually the same free kick. It's just not going to do it. What we didn't realise and what Van der Sar didn't realise either is a world-class free kick, a world-class, a world-class free kick taker was facing him. And what were you thinking at this point when you were watching this game? Because I, I know what I was thinking. I was going, you can't do this again. There's well, no way that he's going to do this again. It's interesting that that's maybe the difference because you're a bit more experienced at this point than me. So I'm only, I'm my mate Ian Nairn's house who's a staunch Rangers supporter, right? But we went there after school because his mum was a teacher there. Uh, Mrs Nairn sadly left us a couple of years ago. Loved her, man. And she was like, just come over, you can have your tea and then watch the football with, with uh, Ian. And uh, is that wasn't after school. After work, sorry, because we worked in the same uh, after school. Uh, we worked at the same, um, uh, like, right, he worked at FES, but it was like, you could pick me up uh, at Gladedale where I worked in, uh, uh, beside the roundabout in the river house at Stirling. And that, like, business party was like, I'll pick you up on the way. Anyway, we went to Dunblane and um, watched it there. And I was obviously on the wind-up the whole game where, because him and his dad are Rangers fans, I was on the wind-up with them the whole game, and I was actually kind of boasting and sort of animatedly saying he'll do it again sort of thing. How much I believed of that, it's hard to tell because I was too lost in the winding-up process that, you know, it was... Uh, I don't know. I think Nakamura... The thing is, with, with, with free kick-taker, as you say, a world-class free kick-taker, he's got the ability to put it past anyone, and anyone more than once, too. With that technique, they're always going to set up their wall the same way. That's the thing you notice with these things. They don't mix it up, goalies and walls. It's always set up like that. So if you could continually ping them time after time in training, time after time in matches, there's no reason you can't do it twice they're doing around the sun, big matches on the biggest stage. No, I, I think I think as well, where a pair I'm coming from is Van der Sar's a world-class goalie. And you're going... Uh, He's not getting it by him again, and he didn't really need to. He didn't really need to actually like describe this goal, because everybody can actually picture it. What actually happened? I can shut my eyes and I can still see the ball flying. And I didn't need to watch the highlights to know this is this is what actually happens. Eh? And like the noise when it left its foot, you were gone. When you when it left his foot, you were gone. That's in. That I was up, I was already standing up anyway, but I'm already gone. That's in. That is in the back of the net. And as soon as it hit the back of the net, the place was absolutely bedlam. Michael Carrick says in his autobiography after mm-hmm. it, the noise was so deafening, my ears rang for a while afterwards, after the noise of that goal. As 27 comes in, we Stratton's utterly shocked reaction to the ball hitting the back of the mm-hmm. net was iconic. It, w- it was iconic. Um, Barca boy, I'd love to hear Van der Sar's take on it. Strangely enough, you know, we do know Alex Ferguson's take on it. Seemingly, like Alex Ferguson says to him, Have you no learned for the first time, yeah? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> when, he, when he got back into the changing room. Um, what was, did Alex Ferguson want to do differently, though, Kev? I, I don't know. Eh? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's well out his way. 
It's not as if like it's not as if Van der Sar's left too much space. It is just a perfect free kick. He's no stop it. There's no way that he can actually stop it. Eh? Um, and Bergerton and his coaches are setting up that that wall any differently from what they did at Old Trafford. Still the exact same format. I think as well, it's further out than the one at Old Trafford as well. So there's a, there's a lot more pace on the ball that Nakamura needs to, needs to hit it with. Um, and it is, for me, the greatest free kick I've ever seen at Celtic Park. End of. I, I, I can't. Somebody will maybe come in and say this one and that one, but that one, the pressure that was on Nakamura to turn up and hit that, it's the greatest free kick I've ever seen hit at Celtic Park. It's hard to argue with that, isn't it? I like the way it goes. Like it's actually like, see when he hits it, it's going over the wall. That ball is at least when you watch the angle from behind, three foot, four foot over the bar. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Like in terms of height, how high it is, and the pace on it, the top spin on it, as well as the curl, but the dip, but dip just enough so it sneaks under the bar. Oh, I know you don't need to describe it, but I thought I would take the opportunity to no, do it. No, no, no. And the spin on the ball, see when you actually watch the way it's rotating, it's like it's fake. Like it's like that's exactly how your dream connection with a free kick, if you hit, if you try to hit a curler, that's how the ball would look. Do you know what I mean with that, that swerving motion? So I was really doing a George Cadetti there. But aye, cool as anything. Red Scotland, Naka's free kick against United was the ultimate agreed Kev. And Facebook user, some technique. What I'm going to say about the technique is, yes, it's a natural talent, but it's a talent that's also practised. You don't yeah. you, you don't be able to do that without actually practising hours yeah. and hours. Even though you've got that talent there, that's a guy who's actually worked on his talent to be able to take that to the highest, highest level. You've seen guys that can hit free kicks doing parks and that, eh? But they can't do that because Nakamura worked and worked on that, definitely. Unbelievable, Kev. The technique is a joke. <laughs> it's something that he's, he's carried on doing his whole his whole career. I mean, I think everyone will remember the footage that, we, that went viral of the moving bus mm-hmm. um, when he pops in a window there. And the amount of folk, I think, at first wanted to say, oh, that must be edited. And yet every Celtic fan's watching going, that's the way it is. He doesn't need to <laughs> Believe you, mate. But aye, it's posted stamp. It's, again, I've said this before on, on the show as well, and it just, it's so important to get this across. You can practice all you want, right? You can have the, all the techers all you want, and you could have done it in the SPFL, and you could have done it in the Scottish Cup, and you could have done it in the Champions League before. <laughs> but with 10 minutes to go, a goal... A goal that secures potentially Celtic's first ever uh, last 16 place in the Champions League since it became the Champions League, obviously. But their first ever qualification of the group against that Man United team with 10 minutes to go and 60,000. It's the mental strength, mate, that gets me the most about this. Because the technique he can do, 
he knows he can do that because he's honed that skill. But can you keep the heat to execute it? And it's just ice cold, ice in the veins, mate. It's just amazing. It comes from probably not confidence and not arrogance. It's just blocking it out, just going, he could have done that in an empty park. He could have done that with no, nobody there. He, but he's done it with 60,000 because he's got so much confidence in his own talent and technique to get this right. And that that is all down that is all down to the practice. I mean, Carrick speaks about the noise, and a couple of minutes later, the noise was still so loud it seemed to print, put off Lewis Saha, who breaks through on goal, thinks he's offside, stops, waits on the linesman's flag. When he realises that the linesman's flag no gone out, he turns round to shoot, and the big holy goalie's out there and blocks the ball. Uh, this isn't the see when that happened, eh, we all went mental again, eh? But this wasn't the holy goalie's moment in this game. That was going to come a couple of minutes later. Where for me, the referee tries to balance up the free kick at the other end, be given an extremely soft free kick after Maloney jumps in the wall and the ball hits, hits his hand. Thoughts, Russell. I can mm. see your face. Uh, it's no, tough. There's, there's no I think it's one you claim for, eh? Is it one that you claim for? Mm-hmm. If it was you, if that was the other way around, I think we'd be claiming for it, no? Ah, uh, maybe I, but I just think it was a balancing up act. I think the referee knew he got the Yarasik one wrong. Maybe, maybe. But I think we would have definitely been shouting for it as well, though, either way, especially at that stage of the match. Come on, you shout for everything. Um... Russell, you're a snooker fan. Nakamura, the only guys that you actually see when nerves are still that are in snooker or darts, eh? that can actually well, I mean, do it. But it's all due to the technique. Eh? Aye, I mean, it's just, I mean, the guys on the snooker table for me are just geniuses, you know what I mean? But aye, you're absolutely right. It's the, the occasion that they're, they're battling so much, so much so, it actually overwhelms the vast, vast majority of snooker players and that's how they don't make it to mm-hmm. that next level because they could all probably already have hit one four sevens and things like that in the practice room but to go out and do it when there's people watching all around the world under that sort of pressure I mean, you, only, you only talk just very quickly on that because we're not talking about snooker but Jimmy White missing a black off the spot in the world final aye you know that's pressure eh aye that was all that was so the referee gives the free kick and Celtic Park becomes an absolute cauldron. There's swirling scarves, there's cat calling. I'm hunkered down. I'm not watching it. I've got my hands down and gone. <laughs> no, but no, because we're no because it was going to stop us beating Man United, but because I've realised that this one qualifies us for the last sixteen. I'm 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 gutted that the bigger picture that this thing has been built up to be the holy grail could now be slipping away for us. And there's folk all around us going mental because they just want to mm-hmm. get one over Man United, eh? Actually, they stand back up before the penalty kick's been, t- been taken, eh? And just in time to see the big holy goalie throwing himself at the right, saving the ball. What I really like about this and what I didn't remember about it until I watched it in the highlights, he palms the ball and it lands about 20 yards outside the box. It actually lands outside the box. There's no chance of a rebound. There's no chance of somebody falling up. He actually, I think he puts it out for a shy. 
It's a great save, eh? Uh, it's clever. It's clever. And, you know, that's what the keepers now, I think, get you know, a lot of emphasis put on them and they're saving the ball. Where is it you're actually pushing it to? If you can't hold it, where are you putting it? And, you know, United would have been swarming for that second opportunity. They have razor-sharp players uh, up front with bags of bags of goals between them. I mean, United are about to enter one of their golden ages, really, mm-hmm. with Champions League final goals with the nucleus of that team. Definitely. I mean, these sort of guys sniff out rebounds. They smell it a mile away. When, when, you know, where, where the deviation of a ball is going to go, where a keeper saves it, things like that. They're all over it with these guys. They're wily foxes and, and Boric has the presence of mind. Obviously, there's a lot of pace from the shot anyway, enough pace to shot. But the actual power he generates as well as saving it to get the ball to travel as far as it did is aye, top, top notch, man. How many goalkeepers do you see saving the ball and it goes right back into the middle of the goals? 100%. This actually goes out and it's a, as you say, it's a great save. What you say about that Man United team is so true. That is the core of the team that wins the goes to two Champions League finals over the next three seasons. This is Man United's last defeat in an away game in the group sections until 2011. They go right, undefeated yeah. for four seasons after this, away from home in the group sections of the Champions League. When Boric saves this penalty, you see the Man United players deflate Right away, you can actually see the shooters go. They know the game's gone. The Celtic players grow six inches mere, knowing that the game's actually won at this point. They know whoever's up there is looking looking over us, and we've got this game sorted. It was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And like to get one up Ferguson and the lesser Ronaldo, really, really loved it. Really, it's one. It's one of my highlights. A lot of Champions League's highlights at the new Celtic Park, but this was one of the greatest. And Everybody was going mental that we had bet Man United. I was going mental going out the ground because I had realised we had qualified. And I always remember about that night, no a lot of folk had realised we had actually got through. No, no a lot of folk realised that Benfica had actually bet Copenhagen. They were just so high on life for beating the, the best team in England at that point, one of the best teams in Europe at that point. And I'm going, we're in the last 16 with a game to spare. And Which I wanted to mention, I. I think the last thing, you know, to do it with a game to spare is one heck of an achievement, Kevin. Aye. And especially when we didn't win any of our away games. We won our three home oh. games and, that, and that's what qualified. That's what qualified. As they, after the game, uh, there was an interesting quote by Stratton that I found about this. And he says, in the first half, we weren't even a presence. At half time, I asked the players whether they wanted to be remembered for that 45 or the next 45. How do managers come up with it, with a moments of clarity and team talks so quickly? It's really, really clever. Eh? I mean, you can just imagine the players reacting to that. He doesn't need to tell them they've been poor in the first half, but he comes up with a phrase which goes like, which goes like to them, how do you want to be remembered? I think that's amazing. When I read that, it kind of right. just took, took me. That is a sign of a decent man manager, manager, don't you think? Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think you're absolutely right. You know, in that moment, how would you come up with that? Where does that even come from? But it's worked and it definitely would have played a part. I was actually in a funny quote with him as well, though. It was a funny one as opposed to, and it was after the game, he says, I don't believe it. 
there must be a rule that says we don't go through. I will wake <laughs> up tomorrow and find someone has scored an extra goal against us somewhere. I better yeah. check Kelly Dix tomorrow to make sure. <laughs> well, it shows he has a right dart at that point when he still wanted to check Teletext. I don't know if Teletext... Oh, Teletext, but they're still oh, uh, I'm going to bring up this with Pedro MC. Um, correct on it being the best free free kick at Celtic Park. The only one that could have bettered it is as as if the Canyons versus Rangers had went in rather than scalped the bar. Aye, that was decent. But Is that the scoop playoff? Aye, it was a fucking. Josh McKinley scooped it. Aye, oh my, that would have been. Mm-hmm. What what I must say, a I've been lucky enough to meet him in the last. 18 months, eh? And I think time's been kinder to him now than what it was in the uh, what it was at the time. Uh, Robert Barker Baker comes in striking as a legend in my uh, Red Scotland actually says the uh, Gordy Stratton legend. The, the the Rangers media promoted the not Celtic minded agenda, not true. Gordy is one of us. That is true now. That is true now. Now I went to a, a speaker's night with him and he done a great half hour about him and Tommy Burns. And if you ever get the opportunity to go and see him talk, go and, go and, go and uh, he, it, was, it was a fantastic night uh, listening to him talking about Tommy. Him and Tommy got a real connection. Him mm-hmm. and Tommy got a real connection. And you'll be, you, you will actually be, you'll have tears of laughter, but also tears of sadness as well. Yeah, when, you yeah, yeah. See, when you actually see how much Tommy meant to him. Anything else you want to add about that game? Anything else no. that, that, that caught your eye? No, but I think, you know, the only thing I would say is, you know, we need to be, whilst we always talk about disparity in Europe and the financial implications, this game proves that the Gulf has always been there, or certainly has been for the last 15 years, and it can be overcome uh, 100%. And if anything, that result should give us a lot of hope for Thursday and think, do you know what? It's easy to help my way. Do you know what I mean? We were a 2-0 lead. Let's have them. That's what I take from what from watching those highlights. But I just think, if we can do that against them, easy to help my bring them on. Let's have them. And let's qualify from the Europa League group as well. Stuart Horan, number two, comes in. Stratton now gets it. Aye, so does Gavin and the, the other son who's working at Celtic as well. They all, all seem to get Celtic off. Three of them are back there now, <laughs> working in some capacity. Um, right, we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on to the music. 2006, but I think it would be remiss of Russell not to speak about the news that's happened in the last hour and 15 minutes. Uh, the tragic news that Charlie Watts the drummer of the Rolling Stones has passed away. I must admit, it certainly took the win for my sales when, when I heard it on the radio. I mean, he's a true legend in the music business. And one of the I was talking to Russell before I came on air, and it makes me real. I just thought the Stones were immortal. I never thought any of them would die. I just thought they would go on forever. And they would always be selling out stadiums and, like, releasing records. And for, like, the drummer... The one that always looked out of place, but one of the coolest cats who's played on some of the greatest rock and roll records ever to be the first one to go. It's almost up there with one of the Beatles dying for me. I can remember, I was only five when John Lennon died, but I can remember the big deal about, about Lennon. Um, this is maybe not up there, but 
Devastating news, eh? Devastating news. Yeah, I definitely think a Rolling Stone, the first Rolling Stone to die is up there with, you know, a Beatle dying 100%. For me, maybe not John Lennon per se, but I remember when George Harrison died, for example. I don't see, you know, I know it's all about perception. You know, I prefer the Rolling Stones to the Beatles anyway. But I think, um, I think it's huge. It's, it's really, really saddening. When I, when I read it, I'd seen your WhatsApp message. I thought, oh, you're joking. And when I went through the Twitter, obviously, no, you weren't joking. I'd just been, oh, no way. And I looked through the Twitter and I just thought, really sad. Um, and obviously, you've got to take comes of comfort yourself. And I think we're on the same page with this, Kev, is that seeing the Rolling Stones live for the first ever time in my life um, in 2018 in the summer and... I am so glad that that experience happened because they've never been back since. Look at the pandemic happened and all that, so there was no opportunity for gigs anyway. And then just as that sort of seems to be maybe easing off a wee bit, uh, Charlie Watts passes away, sadly. So uh, it's just really, it's really rubbish. And, you know, I, I think of the band right now as well, as well, obviously, your thoughts are with his family, friends and loved ones and all that. And you think of the band as well, and that'll be, you know, the most bizarre scenario for them right now. No, no maybe not today. It's just going to be grief. But going forward, it leaves the Stones in a real strange position. Now, I know they've got a lot of session musicians anyway that help yeah. with a, a lot of the, the live stuff. But this is a this is one of your this is one of your organs. You know what I mean? This is like you know. It's your, it's a different time for where for when Brian Jones passed away in nineteen sixty nine. Who were still young cats at that point? Eh? I mean, for me, Charlie Watts always looked like he had walked into the wrong room. <laughs> he always looked like he was walking in looking for a jazz session. No mm -hmm. one that, that were these guys trying to reinterpret the blues, but he also looked like a guy it wouldn't be messed with even though he just sat there and, like, his drumming's superb. If he did one thing tonight, go and listen to his drumming on Hey You, uh, get, out, get Off of My Cloud. Listen yep. to the drumming on that. The drumming on that is unbelievable. It's funny because that got shared today um, by a musician I know on Facebook, Greg Taylor. He shared it and he was like, you need to listen to what was at the time an unusual style of drumming that is now... Yeah. You know, but I know he shared that. I listened to it today. That's funny he said that. Well, it's one. It's one of the best. It's one of the best examples of like what Charlie Watts brought to the Rolling Stones. I mean, he, he always looked cool, and you look. You look at the nineteen, the early seventies Stones when they've all got the leotards on and that, and he's sitting there looking gone. What am I doing here? Like, there's a famous video for the Hollywood Bowl where it's bubbles and there's balloons and all of that, and you can just see him sitting there going, "Hi, what's actually going on here? What's actually going on here?" I was like, "You, I saw him in 2018 at Murrayfield, and I'm extremely glad that I did see them with the longest lineup that that they did have." Um, but. My favourite quote, Charlie. Um, it's not really a quote. It was caught on cha it was caught on uh, camera, and I can't remember where it was caught on camera. He had heard Mick Jagger saying something, and he turns round and says to Mick Jagger, "Don't ever call me your drummer. You're my fucking singer." <laughs> so I think that sums up Charlie Watts's attitude. And uh, as you say, a thoughts are with his family. 
his kids, his grandkids, and also with other members of the Stones at this time. Um, aye, aye, it's a, it's a sad day for music. So we'll move on to the album that we're going to speak about. It's in the headline, it's Costello Music. Um, that album contains, this, the album we're talking about this, e- this evening contains a song that was played after the, the, the Nakamura go. And you can hear it and you hear the crowd singing it as well mm-hmm. straight after it. The song was Chelsea Dagger and obviously the band is the Glasgow band, the Fratellis. The Fratellis are a really interesting story. The band were formed in Glasgow in 2015 and they consist of John, Baz and Mince Fratelli. I'm just going to call them the Fratellis because that's what they, they were. Now, you can't really got the name the Fratellis, Russell, eh? Can work that out. You work that out. For anybody that doesn't can, the Fratellis were the name of the criminal gang in the hit film The Goonies. And it's fair to say that their rise to the top was extremely quick. I mean, they only formed in 2005. They were signed after less than 10 gigs to Island Records, a major record label. They were flown to America to make the album. They had their first single out in March 2016. Their first top 20 hit in June 2006, and they released Chelsea Dagger in August 2006. So in just over a year, they created what would become the Fratelli Sound. The album on, this, on, the, on release, it was released on September 11th, a strange date, 2006, and it spent a total of 83 weeks in the top 100 and has sold over 1.3 million copies worldwide to date. Now, shameless plug, shameless promotion here. If you subscribe to this channel, you're going to be able to win the platinum disc presented to the band for a quarter of a million sales of this album. It's a massive prize and a great it's a great prize. Russell, how did you first hear of the Fratellis? Uh, first time I heard them, right, was in the beat, which was a club behind like a student uh, sort of quite a predominantly student sort of uh, populated like uh, restaurant at the time, uh, the, the Meadow Park behind Stirling Unit. Aye, and it wasn't no Chelsea Dagger they played because uh, the DJs quite liked playing the Odin tune, which I always thought was quite cool. They'd always play like every predominantly all that nonsense that's out at the times, you know what I mean? The chart music, but the charts there was a lot of indie music doing well in the charts at the time, so you'd always get like an Arctic Monkeys tune, Kasabian tune, you would still get like Lila and all that by Oasis played every now and then and stuff because it was still chart and doing well in the charts. And then they played a song, Creeping Up the Back Stairs. Is that what it's called? Ah, Creeping Up the Back Stairs. And that yes. was the first Fratelli's tune I heard in there. So it was amazing to go back to memory lane when I was listening to the album today. And once I got down to track number nine, and that's how I went, that's the first one I heard, because the mind tricks that we always talk about playing on you, Kev, I could have sworn Chelsea Dagger was the first Fratelli song I knew. It wasn't. I, I know for a fact that Keeping Up the Backstairs was the first Fertelli song I heard also. Ah. I, first, I first heard of the band when massive, massive Celtic fan Dominic Diamond had the breakfast show on Beat 106, which became yep. XFM, which I knew, which I knew think is uh, 
Capital Radio, I think it is now. I'm not 100% sure. And the song that he played all the time was Climbing Up the Back Stairs. And that was on their first EP, I think. And so he, him and Jim uh, Gellity, who were on Beat 106 at that point, uh, like hammered this track. So I got to know this track. YouTube comes in. I'm going to actually put this up. Many people think the, Fr- the Fratelli's first gig was at a club next to the Horseshoe Bar, but it wasn't. It was at an after-midnight club show in the Barfly. I thought the Fratelli's first gig, uh, the first gig was in a bar called O'Henry's, which was across for the Horseshoe Bar, but somebody comes in and says that's wrong. Uh, Kevin Banks comes in, Chelsea Dagger is a complete rip-off of the Mac lads, bitter fit crack. Check it out if you mm-hmm. haven't heard it. So that'll sound for me. Do that. For me, the Fratelli sound a cross between half man, half biscuit and Slade. They've got that playfulness of half man, half biscuit, but the shouty choruses are Slade that Slade may uh, like Slade made so famous. But it's also hard not to talk about the Fratellis and not talk about Chelsea Dagger because it became such a massive song over years and years. And it still is a massive song because it's still, I think it's a massive song in the North America, the ice, the ice hockey leagues and all of that up there with Blur uh, song yeah. too. The, the, the play yeah, after yeah, the yeah. I mean, the song uh, is named after the drummer's girlfriend. Uh, she was a burlesque dance, dancer and her stage name was Chelsea Dagger. So that was how they got the name of the song. She's good Love friends it. with she's a good friends with Kevin Miles, who's friends of this podcast. Kevin Miles, who wrote the song Celtic My Heart and My Soul. So Kevin Miles' oh, wife yeah. is also a dancer and she danced with uh, Mincy's girlfriend. So it, that so that that's that's where the connection comes from. So that's where they got the name uh, Chelsea Dagger for the song. Celtic were the first team to play Chelsea Dagger as post-goal music. That is a fact. The reason being, probably, nobody can actually confirm this, is probably because they're all mad Celtic fans, all three of them. And I think because Dominic Diamond was was punting it as well, Celtic decided to get in on the act and play Chelsea Dagger. And it was played a couple of weeks ago uh, at Celtic Park as well after one of the European goals. The song's been used in darts afterwards. Uh, it's an ice hockey in North America, and it's it was predictably used at Stamford Bridge as well, uh, just because of the, the Chelsea connection. What do you think of that, Russell? Do you think that's wasted the, the legacy of the 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 band? That the fact that Chelsea Daggers became so massive. It's a hard thing to comment on because I mean, at the end of the day. To me, you know, you want your tracks to get as big as they possibly can. Um, if you're in a band, at the end of the day, you're in a business as well. And, you know, it's rock and roll to be successful, in my opinion. And why would you not want as many ears hearing your track as possible? Does it then form opinions in some people that perhaps that's all the band's known for, that's, that's what you then tag them with, and that's all you associate them with, perhaps. <laughs> but that's many battles. The war that was won was they had an album that sold 1.3 million tracks, and they've had, they've had a song so popular that's been played 
in Premier League football matches, SPL football matches, and in Canada, ice hockey, to name but a few, as well as being used on adverts, the lot. And that's because of the quality of the tune. And whether a tune loses its quality because it's played so many times is a different debate altogether. It's the fact that it's getting played that many times, I would say, you'd off your cap of that and you'd be very proud of its success if you're the Fratellis. See, for me, it's allowed them to have a career because they'll always have that royalty check coming in. It's mm-hmm. allowed them to actually carry on and make music where a lot of bands from that period have disappeared. I've got a hot take on this. I've got a hot take on a lot of bands round about this time. I listened to this album again, and there's some really, really good stuff on this album. Henrietta, mm-hmm. uh, the Backstairs yep. song, uh, Whistle, was it Whistle for the Choir. Uh, yes. Maybe Fratelli, which was used in Hot Fuzz as well. Another royal royalty galore. Baby Fratelli, I wanted to talk about that one. was really nostalgic as well. I didn't know that song was called that, right, for a start. But aye, it was absolutely brilliant to hear that again. I hadn't heard that in so long. Baby Fratelli, man. It was fantastic. I remember it. I obviously remember it for the album, but I also remember it having a major part in one of my favourite films. And a film that, and like a film I always watch when it's when it's on as hot fuzz. I always remember it being like a major part of that. Eh? Facebook user, eh, you need to register, and your name will come up. Whoever you are should be our new national anthem as part of the Scottish rebrand. Well, that's interesting. That, that, that would be that would be interesting to see Kieran Tierney in that day. the national anthem. Vince Lovable Stoner is another great song. Another great song for for the album. Oh, the Facebook user Sue. He's forgot to log in again. Hiya, Sue. Uh, <laughs> right, for me, this album's good. It is really, really good. It stands the test of time, but the legacy of this album and the quality of this album has basically been lost due to Chelsea Dagger. And they've now just seen... Uh, there's, there's now just seen as a band um, that the fat blokes at the darts danced to. <laughs> like, like if you came up, I mean the fat blokes in the in the Super Mario costumes actually actually dance to. You. Oh, I think you're being harsh. But no, uh, they're not just like, seen as a band like that. Come on, probably in the wider sense, they're seen as that mm. band. But not Maybe. the guy, not the guys who like their music. Yeah. Um, also, for me, it's linked to Tim Lovejoy and Gavin and Stacey. Like a lot of guitar music round about that time, if you were championed by that vacuumist twat, which is Lovejoy, or used on that program, eh, it did nothing but it did Japan nothing but harm going on in the future. I think it really <laughs> did. If if you ended up on the Gavin and Stacey soundtrack, I think that was a death nail for your band. It made you music that insurance insurance salesmen wasn't in their cars. Like, like I can think <laughs> of like number of bands like the Cooks. Uh, probably the Libertines and that that were all used at that time. They never survived being championed by Lovejoy and championed by James Corden. They, they too destroyed so many bands and some are rubbish bands right enough that it should never be forgotten. And I think the Fratelli's legacy has been tarnished by the fact that Chelsea Dagger has been so successful with them and also that they've been lumped in with this whole load of what the press called Lindy, uh, Indy Landfall round about that moment. 
that's just me. But when you go back and listen to this album, it's a cracking album, and everybody should revisit it. And they should revisit their new stuff as well. They should, yeah. they should actually go and listen to their new stuff as well. This band were not a one-trick pony, but unfortunately, they've been lumped in with a load of one-trick ponies and a lot of guys who I think are just vacuumous twats <laughs> who, who basically paid to a lot of bands' careers. That's just me, right enough. No, no, I mean, I, I think the, the Lovejoy thing, I mean, it was something that, at least I think it was quite refreshing that a football host was trying to promote music. I don't think, you know, it's just easy to be cynical all the time, Kev, but then it was quite a refreshing thing. I think football and music go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Obviously, that's how we've got the show. Wow. But, but, but sometimes, when you've got someday for me, Lovejoy's fake. But he was an influential person. He was an influential kid, but he was fake. If you ever read his book, his book is absolutely rubbish. He doesn't think football was invented. If you asked him anything about Chelsea before 1992, he wouldn't have a clue. For me, me, there was a lot of stuff where I think being linked with Lovejoy, I think he was a fake guy, and I still think he is a fake guy. I've sometimes watched him on, what is he? He's cooking show now. He does a bloody cooking show on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And he's still, morning kitchen or something, eh? and, and he's still trying to promote bands, eh? But you do know for a fact that he never listens to them. Mm. You do know for a fact that he doesn't listen to half of them now. And I reckon it was the same during his soccer AM days. I've just got no time for them. And Gavin and Steffi, the amount of rubbish it was on that as well it became <laughs> massive uh, so I feel sorry for the Fratellis I'm sure they didn't feel sorry for themselves they've had a great career uh, but that's just me <laughs> no that's fair strong views I like that <laughs> Aye, it's me. and it really got me annoyed when I listened to this album today it really got me annoyed when I listened to the album well, it's good the good stuff on it and when folk go and if you go to someday, the Fratellis will go, oh, that's the Dark song. And that that just really, really gets my goat. It really no, does. I get you. And that just really gets my goat. Well, thanks for everybody joining us tonight. I hope you I hope you have all enjoyed it. Uh, me and Russell, will, hopefully, will be back next Tuesday night. And I'll see you tomorrow for the bulletin. And remember... Yes. Um, just be kind to each other and everybody go and play a Rolling Stones track the night and remember Charlie Watts thanks very much see you Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.